So then we're going to talk a little bit about how to, how to get on with yourself. Now, you're going to know this verse most likely. Anybody ever seen this before? So I just want to talk about the Bible, but bring it in a way that kind of makes sense to people. Because you would be amazed. You will literally, If we could get this into schools, and you'd be amazed at how relevant this is. Now, check this out. So Matthew, you, you will have heard it before. All these guys come to Jesus. What's the most important law? What's number one, please? And he says, well, here's number one. You'll probably know. It says, love God with all your heart, right? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, everything within you. And the second commandment or the second guideline is a better word for us. But a way to live well is to love people. And then he says those famous few words, as you, as you love yourself. And psychologists now, and if you study psychology, you'll find out, and sociology, that they're discovering truth that's been hidden in here for hundreds of years. That people only love other people about as well as they love themselves. And then he goes on and talks a little bit about it. He says, in fact, the whole Old Testament, all the law and all the prophets, everything in the Old Testament comes down to this. Loving God and loving people like you love yourself. Now, I've been teaching the Bible for 35-something years. I used to run a Bible college in the 90s where we had 40 full-time students, I think, and, and 150 or 200 by the end part-time students. So it was one of the larger ones in Australia. I was young. I thought I knew everything. I thought I'd arrived. You know, they'd fly me around in planes and I'd visit that and then I kind of came over here and went through life a little bit and learned that I didn't know that much at all when I was young but anyway I had the experience and the privilege of of talking about the things of God and 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 the the purposes of God and here's the thing you know we had some great lecturers great preachers and great people that I've met in different contexts but actually if you want to summarize the whole testament now I don't want to I don't you know some of you are lovers of the old testament but if you want to summarize the whole thing, just to keep it short, it's all down there. So the Ten Commandments, you know, they're really good guidelines for life. But it all comes down to this. Love God and love people like you love yourself. If you love people like you love yourself, you won't lie to them. You won't murder them. So love is love. And, and, and you know, the Bible said these things, three things remain, but the greatest of them is? Love. And we all know that. We go to movies, we listen to music, and it's either talking about how wonderful it is to be in love or how terrible it is because she doesn't love me anymore or he doesn't love me. The whole world works on that. And we know it, but here's the reality. We, we don't know very well how to love ourselves because you're going to love other people the way you love yourself. And if you don't like you very much, then other people, you will teach other people not to like you very much. And you'll have great trouble liking other people very much. And really, the single biggest problem, this is my opinion, so I'm not quoting a statistic, I would say, and many people would agree with me, the single biggest problem that the world faces is all, and that you face personally, is rooted in 
you the fact that you generally don't love yourself all that much. If you loved you, if you valued you, if you thought you were wonderful, you would treat yourself different. And when you start to treat yourself different, you'll be enabled to, love, to, to treat other people different. Now, in this verse, if you've been around the church world for very long, then you've probably heard this angle on it. And I have a real issue with this angle because I think it's religious and I think it destroys people. You'll have heard that the first commandment is to love God with all your heart. And so oftentimes a leader or a preacher or a disciple maker type person will put pressure on you to love God. And oftentimes you will feel good or not so good in your life because often you'll feel like you didn't love God all that well. Anybody ever felt like that? And you feel like, I didn't quite do this right. And, you know, if I'd really loved God, you know, then I would have done this better. And what that leads to is condemnation and guilt. And the church world, be honest, I'll be honest with you, is filled with beautiful Christian people that are suffering to greater or lesser degree because they feel guilty and they feel condemned because they're trying to love God and they're trying to love people, but they know that sometimes they fail and they don't know what to do about it. And so we have this, and that's what religion will do. Religion is something that looks like real Christianity, except it denies its power and it keeps people bound. So the word religion comes from ligio and it literally means to bind. And you can see that whereas where, where God is, there's liberty. People are free, people are happy, and you can literally tell how much of God is in a place or in a family or in a church by the degree of liberty that people feel. And so you're doing pretty good, by the way. There's a pretty good degree of liberty around here. Just touch the person next to you and say, you're doing good. <laughs> so we've, we've had all this stuff thrown at us in terms of trying to make us Love God better, and we've got it all around the wrong way. Let me show you this verse that'll just upset every religious bone in your body and hopefully bring some liberty and freedom. Look at this. 1 John, same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, 4, 16 to 19, he says this, God is love. It's not an attribute of God. It's, not, it's, it's exactly who he is. If you meet God, you meet love. And it says, whoever lives in love, lives in God. God, like love is very, very high up the order. If you live in God, love, you live in God. And God lives in them. And there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear, I've got it here actually, has to do with punishment. So the person who fears is not made perfect in love. The doctors will tell you, the nurses will tell you that the, certainly the majority, maybe 70, maybe 80% of all sickness and disease are rooted in fears and, and our mental perspective of things, not in things that are primarily physiological. Did I say that the right way for all the medical professionals? Fear of having something fear of people, fear of this happening or that happening, 
is, is a bigger issue, is a root cause of most of the sicknesses in our society. And when we fear, it's simply because we're not made perfect or mature is a better word. We haven't matured in love. Isn't it amazing that in a couple of verses we've looked at here in the Bible, like, like, like some, somebody will say, you'll hear this every now and then, oh yes, the Bible, you know, it's a very old book, it's not very relevant, is it, for today? I'm just thinking, in two verses, we can look into, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying the answers are instant, I'm saying we can find the roots for three quarters of the, of the illness of human society and the pains people go through. And they're all, you know, who, who is there here tonight that hasn't been touched by, by somebody taking their life young? I think in Risca, we're near Risca here. I think they have the highest rate or one of the highest rates of teenage pregnancy I think in Europe, is that right, Mike? Something like that? In Duffrey, which is nearby here, right? You've got right now in all over the UK, the highest, the, the main reason that people die, men between 18 and 40, is suicide. More than cancer, more than bike accidents, more than heart attacks. People are so lost that they think life isn't worth living and, and some of these young guys haven't even started to live yet. And then we have divorce and, and kids that can't talk to both parents and people that, Chris, for some people, Christmas is horrible because I've got to see that uncle I don't want to see because he's never... And there's brokenness everywhere. If we could learn to love, you, can you imagine how different the world could be if we really learned to love? And so Jesus was right, right on the money. And here's the thing I want you to get. I've made it bold down the bottom. We love because he first loved us. So when the Bible says you've got to love God first, well, you can't love God unless you know that he first loved you. We love because he first loved. So let me put it this way. If people have not experienced the love of God themselves, then why would we expect them to be able to love anybody else? That would be really unfair on those people. Now, wouldn't it? And a lot of Christian people, they, they, I get it. You know, we want to live in a nice society. We want people to be friendly. You know, my father used to say, and, uh, you know, if everybody was like me, nobody would have to lock their doors, you know, and all that. Kind of, and I get And that's really good. That's great. That would be good to live in a world like that. And we are in the UK in a much better position with regard to that than most countries in the world are. So however negative we might want to be, there are, there are some really nasty, difficult places to live in the world today. And if you think you're suffering, uh, you know, just go and spend a year in Syria or some other nations and find out how tough it can be. And, uh, but the point, the point is this. We, as Christian people, sometimes what we do is we expect other people who are not Christian to be loving. And my question is, why should they? Why should we expect a person who's never met Jesus, never been introduced to the love of God, what, 
Why should they live a Christian lifestyle? I know that it would be better. I know that kindness is better than hatred. But as soon as you start putting any kind of demand on a person to live in a certain way, and then they don't live up to that, you're going to have a problem. So I've changed my approach completely. I don't expect for unsaved people to show any love at all. Why should they? I feel like I have an obligation as a Christian to introduce them to the love of Jesus. And if I live in the love of God like I can do, then I give them every chance to discover this love they never knew before. And if they discover that and they realize how valuable they are, then finally they have the ability to love God and love other people. But in the meantime, if I try and feel like they should be loving, I'm just going to get frustrated all the time. And some of our families are like that. You've got families and relatives and they're not Christians. And in the back of our minds, we kind of think, well, they should be a little bit more Christian. No, no they shouldn't. Let them be nasty. Let them be unpleasant. Let them lie about you. Let them cheat on you. Let them say rude things behind your back. Why should it bother you? You're the Christian. Let them, let, as soon as you live a life where how happy you are depends on how somebody else treats you, you're finished as far as living a happy life because somebody is always going to get under your skin, believe me. And if I haven't yet, you know, I'm working on it, you know. <laughs> and I know, I know it's a mind bender for some of us. But you imagine, because here's the thing with love, see. Love is entire, the, the agape love we're talking about. So in 1 Corinthians 13, there's two different words the New Testament uses for love. Mostly it's agape or agape. You heard that word before? And then there's also filio, those two kinds of love. And unfortunately in English and, and, and Welsh, you know, we use the same word, love, which means different things to different people. But this, the, the, this love that we're talking about here, God is love, it's agape. And agape is love that is entirely focused on giving and doesn't expect anything back. I'm going to love you and you can be mean to me and it's not going to change me. I'm going to pour out my life for you. Now there's wisdom that, you know, has to be applied in life and you can see Pastor Mike about all those things afterwards. <laughs> but I'm talking about the spirit of love. Agape doesn't expect anything. So here's one of the things it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, uh, in, in, when it talks about love, you know, it says love is the greatest and all that. And it says love is very patient and very kind. Love doesn't delight in dishonesty. It only delights in truth. And it's agape. And then it says an agape does not even take into account a wrong suffered. Do you remember that? It's in 1 Corinthians 13. Somebody did you wrong, don't even take it into account. Don't even remember. That's what agape does. So my question when I started to discover that is I thought, hmm, 
I think that a lot of the Christian church have never really been taught about agape at all. Because sooner or later, if, if somebody is mean enough to you, you are going to react. And you're going to say, that's enough. You're not going to treat me like that. And as soon as you do that, I understand why you're doing it. But as soon as you do it, you've stepped outside of agape. Nobody's mad with you. God's not mad with you. I'm not mad with you. Don't feel guilty. But we've stepped outside of the highest kind of love. And we've lowered ourselves to live more or less like the rest of the world live. And then we wonder when they look at the Christian church why they don't come running and flocking to Jesus. Because when the love of God is there, people will come. You know, I, I, I taught, I love all the revivals. I love the Welsh revivals, one of my favourites. I don't know, some of you may not know much about that, some of you younger people, but, but God moved in such a freakish way right here in the south of Wales 115 years ago that in six months, and this is, you can read this in books, you can read this in newspaper clippings and stuff from the time. It's not, it's nobody, it's fact that in six months, right, in six months, 100,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in six months, flat. There was no crime. So, every, so the policemen had nothing to do. They would just walk around. You can read it, it's all there. They had nothing to do. The pit ponies that they had in the pits, some of you know this, I'm sure, they had these pit ponies that because they were coal miners and their language, as you might imagine, was kind of colourful, you know, and they became Christians. They met Jesus and their whole lives changed because they experienced God and their language changed and they didn't swear anymore and then they had problems because the ponies wouldn't do what they told them to do because they were so used to being swan. It's all, it's all, it's true, it's historical fact. And then the, the shop owners, the shopkeepers would close their shops in the middle of the afternoon. Whether we make a lot of money doesn't make a lot of money, doesn't matter because we're all going down to worship God, going to the chapel, going to the church, going to wherever. People would walk down the street like in horse and carriage right on their street and the power of God would hit people and they'd fall off their horses right here in Wales. God's amazing. That's one of my favourite revivals. But the one... I wanted to mention in brief, and I've got kind of five minutes with you now. Uh, the one I wanted to mention was in the, in the beginning of Christian history. So Jesus died, you know, he was actually born. For those of you that don't know, he was born about 6 BC. Did you know that? Because of the calendar errors. So even though time starts at zero, Jesus was actually born about six years before Christ. But anyway, that's another story. So he died in about AD... 29, something like that. And then from AD 29, or year 29 to 100, we had what they called the age of apostles when the apostles were around here. And that's when the Romans were in Bath as well at the same time over the border there near Bristol. And, uh, and then from 100, the last apostle of those 12 was this guy, John, who died. And then for 225 years, they had what they called the age of persecution and martyrdom. Anyone ever heard of that? So for 225 years, if you became a follower of Jesus, so that's when, and this is all fact, um, Christians were burnt at the stake, especially in Rome. 
So the Appian Way, which I've been to, which is a long, straight Roman road, they, they would uh, put Christian people on a stake by the road and light them to light the way to build the road. They would throw them to lions. You might have heard some of that stuff. And for those of them that didn't lose their life, if you decided to follow Jesus in those days, you would lose your passport, you would lose your legal right to your home, you would probably lose your job, and you ran the risk of losing your life. And yet, and yet, people by their thousands came to Jesus. By their thousands. The coal miner would tell his coal miner friend, the guy who, who, who was a labourer would tell us, and the politician would tell us. And the history it tells, it's called the Anti-Nicene, before the Nicene Edict of Milan in 300 and whatever it was. So they had this, and you know what they said, the historians, there's a guy called Schaaf that wrote all these books about it. And he said they came to Jesus by their thousands because they experienced a love that they had never found in the Roman world. See, the Roman world then was a very harsh world. And if and that was the world, like if you've seen some of those movies, I'm trying to think, not Ben Hur, but the other one, where you know you'd leave two babies out on the mountain at night. That's what they do to their babies, and the one that died died. But if one survived in the cold overnight, that was a tough baby that was worth keeping alive and breeding into a soldier or whatever. It was a harsh world. And and in that circumstance, Christians can become reactionary and say, this is terrible, this is harsh, they shouldn't do this, they shouldn't do that, that's disgusting. Or they can decide to be soaked with this agape love of God. And you'll find that if you do that, it doesn't matter whether you're in South Wales, New South Wales, Timbuktu, Antarctica, people want to know the God of love. And so how do you, how do you learn to love yourself? Can I give you a couple of final points and then we're done? Are you ready? Number one, I'll read this. First, find out what God said about you. Here we go. This is just awesome. I mentioned this this morning. You ever read this? We are God's masterpiece. Everyone say, say to yourself, I am God's masterpiece. It's a stunning thing. It's in the Bible. Whoop, I've gone somewhere else. We are God's masterpiece. It's the Greek word is poema. You, you, you're like a poem. You're like an artwork. And you might feel like it's been stuffed up by other people. It's been marred. I, got, I went through this. I did stupid things. That's all right. Artworks are like that. You know, sometimes the most precious things come out of the biggest damage. And you've got to start to believe what God said about you if you're ever going to learn to love other people. Because when you realise... Anyway, let me... Here's another one. Oop. And I told you this this morning. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what's people that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than God or than the angels, but it's actually than God. And you crowned them with glory and honour. That's God speaking about people. He crowned them with glory and honour. That's how he made you. Crowned with glory and honour. You need to wake up in the morning, look in that mirror and say, whew, 
crowned with glory and honor. Now I'm looking at something now. Look at that guy. And it feels good. And then the old religious spirits will come and say, oh, that's very arrogant, you know. Oh, be careful of pride. Now, I, 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 I hate pride. Pride will destroy you. But feeling positive about who God made you to be and pride are very different things. So what pride really is, is pride is I'm going to do it my way no matter what God says about it. That's what pride really is. And when God says you're wonderfully made, which he said in Psalm 139, and you decide to sit there and say, well, yeah, I'm not really that wonderful. That's pride. Because you're refusing to let what God said about you permeate your person. Humility is when you yield yourself and you say, okay, if you said I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful. Let me show you one more. We are God's masterpiece. Oh, this is the, 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 the kind of, we had a little bit of trouble with this, but it's never mind. Read this, watch. God never had one of you, but he wanted one of you, so he made one of you. If you've never read that or written that down, you should write that down because that's the truth. In fact, there's this verse there. It's Ephesians 1.3. You can't quite read it. It says, and he chose you before he made the earth. Before that, you know, he made the planets. I know people think it was, you know, science and evolution. There, it takes a lot of faith to believe that. But one day, one day people will find out. It's okay. I'm not that fussed. But before he did all that, he dreamt of you. He thought, Helen Taylor, I'd like one of those. Don't have one. And he shaped you and he formed you and he dreamt about you. And when you start to believe that, listen, you, you know, we talked about suicides. We talked about teenage pregnancy. We talked about all those issues, hating people, marriages falling apart. When you start to realise that he wanted one of you and he made one of you, and he was dreaming about you before. You won't treat yourself that way. You won't allow those things to happen to you anymore. Can you see what I'm saying? You won't, you won't allow other people to... You don't have to hate people. You just will value yourself. We have a big issue in the world. Every church just about in some way or other of self-harming. You know, which is a problem and they're trying to sort of... The, the root of self-harming is you just don't realise how valuable you are. And you, and, you get, and you don't know what to do about it. And so that's one way of expressing it. Different people have different ways of expressing it. But if we can get people to realise that they're magnificently made, that there's nothing on the whole earth that matters more than people, and it starts with you, loving you. And I think that's... And here's a little picture I wanted to end with. Look. This guy, this guy came first, but he's all miserable. This one came third and he's cheering like the whole world. And that I got it off, you know, YouTube or something, wherever. And, uh, and, and it says happiness is a state of mind, which isn't really so much the point. The point is that this dear person came first, but they don't realise how valuable they are. So they're comparing themselves. They've lost, they're lost. A lot of Christians are like that. Look at that guy over there. Look, he seems happy. Look, what happened to me? Let me finish. Listen to what God said about you. 
Stop comparing yourself to other people. You can do things nobody else can do. And other people can do things you can't do. Let them shine and make sure you shine. That's the second thing. And then the last thing is, and it's big, is plant yourself in a community where love is a high value. That's why the church is so important. And I've been around a lot of churches, spoken in a lot of churches, and I wish I could say that every church was filled with love, but it isn't always. But we've got something good going on here. And it's a precious thing. If you can be in a community where they're more interested, because Jesus said, don't, 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 don't stop gathering together, as is the habit of some. Wasn't Jesus in the book of Hebrews? You know that? Like Jesus values the church. But we've got lots of Christians all around and they're like, we're at church because, you know, we've got to be at church. And, uh, well, I'll be there three weeks out of four, but I don't want to, you know, I want to give me at least one week off. And we've got it all around the wrong way. If you're in a community of love, where else would you want to be? And love, love that kind of community, it, it will stretch you. Because you'll have to face things about yourself and you'll think, oh, I do need to make some changes. I do need to start believing things about myself differently. I need to change. And, and that's challenging for everybody. But when you're in a community of love, you're around people that aren't, they're not afraid to say, yeah, it's a good thing for you to change, but they're going to stand by and cheer for you as you change. And let me tell you, it's only in that kind of environment that you will ever become everything God dreamed you to be. You know, I've, I've got literally, I don't know if I've got fairs, hundreds of Bible college graduates because of the different things I've done over the years in all different parts of the world. And, and when you lead a Bible college, here's what people's passion are. We just want to do what God called us to do. And I love that. I'm like that. But I know some of them that are not at all doing what God called. They started with that intention. But until you plant yourself with a bunch of people that say, we are going to go somewhere and we're going to love God and we're going to love people and we're going to have some hiccups on the way, but we're going to, we're going to work at it. That's, that's what family is. And that's why Jesus said, I'm going to build my church because that's what church is.